Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome to today's Live, Train, Perform podcast episode on reflections. I'm your host, Sean Kober. I'm recording this on Wednesday, the 5th of August. And what I'm going to do is cover off on uh, some principles that I've been reading about and learning about over the last couple of weeks. So I've currently, I've just finished reading a book called The Dichotomy of Leadership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Uh, these two guys are former Navy SEALs who have taken the lessons learned on the battlefield in Iraq um, into the corporate sector. Now, I'm just going to read an excerpt from their book and then I'm going to kind of go down the rabbit hole and, and talk about different principles and um, how I've related these principles and lessons into my own life. There are limitless dichotomies in leadership and a leader must carefully balance between the opposite forces. But none are as difficult as this, to care deeply for each individual member of the team, whilst at the same time accepting the risks necessary to accomplish the mission. A good leader builds powerful, strong relationships with his or her subordinates. But while the leader would do anything for these team members, the leader must recognise there is a job to do, and that job might put the very people the leader cares so much about at risk. In war, this is the ultimate dichotomy. A leader may have to send his most treasured asset, his people, into a situation that gets them wounded or killed. If his relationships are too close and he can't detach from his emotions, he might not be able to make tough choices that involve risk to his men. With that attitude, the team will get nothing done. That team fails the mission. At the other end of the spectrum, if a leader cares too much about accomplishing the mission... He may sacrifice the health and safety of his men without gaining any significant advantage. Beyond the horrible impact it has on the men, it also impacts the team, who recognise the leader as callous and no longer respect and follow him. The team will fall apart. So it took me a couple of weeks to read this book, and this is the follow-up to their first book, uh, which was an international bestseller called Extreme Ownership. Now, Extreme Ownership amazing book it is one of the uh, top three books that i typically recommend to people um the dichotomy of leadership it was a good follow-up i didn't i don't think it's as applicable to the average person as extreme ownership was however if you are in a leadership position and uh you do have subordinates under your control under your command then it's definitely worth reading and it goes into the many, many dichotomies that you're going to face within um, you know, your workplace, within your environment and it might be sports teams and things like that as well. So um, definitely a good read but it got me thinking about the different leaders that I've had throughout my life and the different people that have had um, a massive impact or played some part or had some form of influence over me over my lifetime. And it got me thinking about um, a couple of a couple of leaders that I had in the military and in the civilian world. And one of the best leaders that I had whilst I was in the military was my patrol base commander in Afghanistan, Pez. And the the I've spoken um, in depth about what made him good leader in episode number 13 i think the effect of your environment which was basically a 35 minute conversation about 
um, the lead-up training going into Afghanistan and then whilst we were in Afghanistan. But what made Pez a good leader was that he involved the team. He was the boss, but he involved the other teams and the subject matter experts for um, each individual element like snipers, engineers, um, uh, security section, HQ, etc. It's mortars, etc., etc. And he included everyone in the planning process for every mission, every task that we undertook. And that gave ownership to every one of the teams to play their part and be able to manage their uh, role within the overall, the overarching task or mission. And um, that was empowering. And that was what Pez brought to the table. And that was um, a massive, a massive bonus and a massive plus, a massive strength of his as a leader was to give that ownership back to the team and put trust in them to be able to come up with their own plan to contribute to the overall success of each task that we went on. Now, another leader that played a massive part in my uh, development as a person and as a leader was my rugby coach, um, Peter McGrath. And I was over in uh, East Timor in 2009, I think it was, and I was hearing from my mates back in Australia and some of them were blowing up and saying, oh, we've got this new coach come in and he's shaking things up and, you know, he's not selecting people and he's telling people to go and play for other teams and things like that. And um, I was like, oh, shit, what's going on? So I ended up coming back from East Timor maybe eight months later or something like that. And uh, I rolled into training and, and met this guy, this coach. And he was, you know, he was a small guy. He was very quietly spoken, a Kiwi lad. And um, something I noticed about him straight away is when he spoke, everyone fucking paid attention. Everyone listened because he didn't speak very loud. And here he is talking to 30 to 40 rugby players. Um, and, you know, he just demanded respect when he was speaking because he spoke so quietly. Everyone was gathered around, hanging on every word that he said. And there was no white noise. There was nothing, um, you know, he wasn't saying anything that was not relevant everything he said was relevant and straight to the point and clear and concise and um, you know he played a massive part on my development as a leader as well because I took a lot of lessons from him and he actually I think it was the end of that year we ended up going to Singapore and my rugby team at the time would go to Singapore every year and play in the Singapore sevens and he actually made me the captain of that team Um, and then that pretty much started off my uh my stint or stints of captaining multiple rugby teams over the years Uh, and he gave me that confidence to be able to step up and lead and um, you know talk to the troops and and you know rally them and get them motivated to um, you know do what was necessary do what was right at the time even though we might not have felt like doing it Um, so I ended up going on to captain and co-captain the Kazarina Cougars and you know we went three years undefeated won the premiership Um, I think we won like 70 or we didn't lose 70 games in a row or something like that Uh, I also captained the Northern Territory team um, my state I captained the Tasmanian team my state and national championships and um, that kind of it's it's led to the leader that I am today was having those people and the funny thing was uh, I had Pez in 2010 and 11 
uh, and Pete I met in 2009 and then you know he put me as the co-captain of the the Kazarina team when I got back from Afghanistan in 2011 as well so um, it was around about that 2009 to 2012 period where I really came into my own as a leader and um, you know learned a lot from both of those guys and they had a massive influence on my direction as a man uh, and also as a leader so massive props to those guys for uh, bringing out the best in me and allowing me to kind of build my own personality and my own leadership style. Um, but that also got me thinking about uh, a documentary that I watched recently. If anyone's seen The Last Dance, I thought it was a brilliant documentary on uh, Michael Jordan and the Bulls, the Chicago Bulls, when they went through their um, their dynasty in the mid-90s, early mid-90s. Um, even into the late 90s, I think it was. But um, something that the documentary t- touches on is obviously Phil Jackson was an amazing coach and he brought the best out of his players. But, you know, you can't bring the best out of your players unless you have buy-in from the leadership team. And obviously Michael Jack- uh, Michael Jordan was... Did I say Michael Jackson before? Fuck. <laughs> anyway, Michael Jordan, um, obviously one of the best athletes in the world and one of the most well-known, well-respected athletes in the world and you got to remember this was a time before social media was around so um, for him to have that much stardom and that much um, power was incredible imagine what he would pull off today if if he was in the same position but anyway I digress Um, he was obviously an amazing player and the Chicago Bulls were built essentially around a player like that But it wasn't until he became a leader that the Chicago Bulls actually built a fucking amazing team and built this incredible dynasty. And that was because he stepped up. And, you know, yes, he was an amazing player, but he also led by example. Okay, Uh, in the documentary, they talk about, they interview a number of the other players. And a number of the other players are basically saying he was a dick at times because he was so hard on them because he was pushing them and he wasn't allowing anyone to take shortcuts and again he led by example he wasn't taking shortcuts and he wasn't allowing anyone else to take shortcuts and you know I personally believe that that had a massive part in them creating that dynasty and and you know being such a dominant team for so long um, was his leadership style and yes of course he was an amazing player um, but you know it was his ability to lead and to uh command respect from his players um, and the coach that ultimately led them to uh, their overall successes. Something else that I was thinking about in terms of leadership is Jacinda Ardern, who is the New Zealand Prime Minister. Now, obviously, we're going through this COVID pandemic and I think it was like two or three months ago when it was when, you know, a lot of countries around the world were kind of lagging and falling behind and you know, no one was really making decisions or anything like that. And she actually stood up and, and she, what did I say? The president, prime minister. So she actually stood up and she said, we're going to lock the country down. And my family, my mum's side of the family all live in New Zealand. So I was hearing from them that, you know, they were going, as soon as they found out about the pandemic, it was spreading around the world. She took a hard stance and basically said, let's lock the country down. Everyone's going to be in quarantine, lockdown for six weeks, you know, not allowed out of the house, blah, 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 blah. 
And, um, you know, she took a hard stance on that. And obviously people were blowing up and saying the government's taken away our freedoms and this and that. And, you know, um, but I, I, I actually watched the rugby last weekend. Uh, Super Rugby uh, Torah is playing again. And something that was brilliant was there was 30,000 people in the stands. So, yes, they took a hard stance and they locked everything down. They closed everything down. But it allowed them to get back to normal life very, very quickly. New Zealand's an island and, you know, obviously once they locked everything down, it allowed them to um, flatten the curve, uh, maintain control and, you know, stop the spread of this fucking virus that's going around and uh, allowed them to get back into normal life. So I thought that was uh, a stroke of genius and I thought that's, you know, a good example of good leadership because uh, a lot of countries... um. A lot of countries around the world didn't take that stance and they kind of waited and they um, didn't want to make a hard decision because they, you know, didn't want to lose the approval of the the public that they were representing and all that type of stuff. And I thought that was brilliant leadership and that's allowed people to get back to, you know, living their life as, as normal as possible. So that's it for me today, guys. I'll be back again in two weeks' time with another episode on Reflections. See you all there.